even though you may not recognize the name, the odds your car has Adiant seats are pretty good. This spin-off from Johnson Controls produces automotive seating across the globe. And today, its CEO, Bruce McDonald, joins us on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine This Week. We're going to be talking today about the newest automotive supplier in the business. And maybe it's really not all that new. It certainly has a different name. And we're doing that today because our special guest is Bruce McDonald, the chief executive officer of a new company called Adiant. And Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Also joining us today are Bill, Bill Visnick with SAE International and Gary Vasilash with Automotive Design and Production Magazine. Great having the both of you guys Thanks, to enjoy the conversation. Bruce, let's start with it. What the heck is Adiant? Uh, give us the thumbnail switch <laughs> sure. quick. What are you? Well, actually, it's actually called Adiant. Adiant, but, um, okay. Sorry about the, uh, my Midwestern accent. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Um, well, Adiant is the, um, it's, it's the automotive seating business and interior business that was part of John's Controls. And so for uh, John's Controls got into the automotive business in the uh, late 1980s. And for many, many years, it was really the growth engine of the company. And uh, with, with John's Controls sort of changing their strategy to p try and become more of a multi-industrial company, um, they sort of limited investment to the automotive seating business. And the spin-off of the company really was, was, was a sort of in recognition that you know, if the company wasn't willing to invest in the seating business, then it really wasn't the best long-term owner. So and, give us an uh, idea of what size company is this spin-off? Yeah. Well, I like to think of our company in three pieces. We, we have our, our global uh, seating business, which is um, about $17 billion in revenue. And then in China, we, we largely do business through non-consolidated joint ventures. And there we'd be about another $7 billion. And then uh, we also have our, our interiors joint venture with Yang Feng. That's a global interiors joint venture, and that's about $8.5 billion. So, Little bit over thirty billion, but but on a consolidated basis, seventeen. Mm -hmm. Still a good size. Still a good size. So so seats, you guys have a lion's share of that business, yeah. and, and why do you think that's the case? Well, um, we, I, I think there's a number of things I'd point to. Probably first of all, uh, back in the in the 1980s, we we partnered up with the, with the China, with the Japanese suppliers, uh, some of their Koretsu partners, and helped our customers globalize. And so, if I sort of fast forward today, about a quarter of our sales are are to the Japanese mm -hmm. customers. Um, in China, we we got into that market very early on in the uh, in the 19 uh, or 1996 was our first joint venture there. Back when the market was about 400,000 units, and so we've really enjoyed uh, uh, you know because we got in early, um, we, we've we've really grown with the market. Mm -hmm. So, the technology of seating is it is it changing or is it pretty much yeah, status quo? Yeah. Well, I think we're about to go through a really interesting time, uh, not just for seating, but for the interior of the vehicle. Um, first of all, many, many of our customers are starting to put more dollars there, starting to use the, the vehicle to differentiate themselves more and more on, on the inside of the car. Um, but as we get into this autonomous space, uh, then, you know, you think about it, you're really selling a living room, not, not a car, if people aren't going to be driving it. And, and that's got our customers really trying to think through um, you know, what's going to happen in the future. It has implications on our seats. It has implications on where you put the controls in a car. 
uh, how, how safety, it, it, how you think about safety, um, and how you deliver heating and cooling. So uh, once, the, once the passengers start to move around in the vehicle, all those things kind of have to be rethought through. So Brooks, what do you think the car of the future, fully autonomous car, is going to look like on the interior? Well, you know, I'd say we don't know, um, and, and it's, it's interesting to see the, the different um, schools of thought uh, that some of our customers have. Some, some still continue to think there's going to be sort of a center console. Uh, other people are saying, you know, they don't want any center console. Um, I'd say it's probably a fair bet that there's going to be con re space that you can kind of configure to, to suit your specific needs when you're using the vehicle. So, you know, an example might be when you're going to work, you know, maybe you're going to want to have a workspace so that you can put your laptop and, and do some work. On the other hand, when you're maybe going out for dinner with your, your wife or, or girlfriend, as the case may be, uh, you probably don't want a workspace in the vehicle. And so the, I think a configure, the ability to configure it is, is probably the biggest thing. Are you, uh, are, are you looking at the, the serious notion, at least anyway, if you get to full autonomy, sort of the way Google and some of the other uh, share, ride share companies envision it, you, you won't really have a, a cockpit, so to speak. They, they don't think they'll need a steering wheel. Right. Uh, are, are you, do you think it'll be that extreme? Well, that's kind of when you're getting into, I think, what they call level four autonomy. And again, some customers uh, are, are of, a, of the view they do not want a steering wheel. I think legislation <laughs> is, is sort of still pending on that one. I think mm -hmm. we'll, the ability to sort of have a backup, ability to control the vehicle. Right. Um, but as it relates to our product, for sure, um, you know, they're going to want the seats to travel a lot farther back than they, they do today. They're going to want the seats to swivel uh, so that you're not sort of sitting in a, like a, in a four corners of a box in the vehicle. Um, and, and, it, and, the, and the seats are going to have to move a lot quicker. So if you think about it, you're in an autonomous mode and something happens and you have to get back to the steering wheel if you're sort of two feet further back, you're going to have to travel a lot faster than a power seat travels today. So if, if we think, I mean, you're talking about the, the, the seat traveling. Now, right now, seats are on tracks, yeah. right? And, and they just move back, yeah. back and yeah. forward. I mean, do you conceive of a time when it may be that the seat would literally move side to side rather than just sure. fore and aft? Yeah, I think, I think you're going to see longer uh, forward and backwards, but I think you'll see swiveling, uh, and I think uh, you'll, see, you'll see the ability to sort of slide the seat um, on, a, on a horizontal axis as well. In fact, that's something that um, you know, we're really looking at right now as it relates to disabled uh, and elderly passengers. When you think about the, getting into and out of a vehicle, for an elderly person, um, the ability to sort of move the seat over and turn it so that they can sort of get in more easily is, is something that, um, you know, there's a niche for that, and, and that, uh, that technology is here today. You know, aging baby boomers, we all want Right, uh, we're all going to need that. <laughs> easier yeah, easier yeah. in and out of a car. Right, right. <laughs> Bruce, as you mentioned before, uh, Adiant is a spinoff from JCI. JCI yeah. made no bones about it. It wanted to get out of the automotive business right. because it thought that profit margins were not good enough. Mm -hmm. It instead wants to concentrate on higher margin businesses right. like industrial refrigeration and, <laughs> and land management. Yeah. Why would you guys take this company public? Why, what do you see the capability being that clearly JCI does not? Well, they, had, they have um, three different businesses, and so they, they had the ability to decide where they want to invest their capital. Um, 
the returns in the automotive space were lower than the other the other two businesses, but they're still very good, attractive returns. We can make really good uh, returns on our investment, and we think setting up our new company, we could be a lot leaner from a corporate overhead structure being dedicated to just one line of business. So we see the opportunity to grow our margins. Um, what we, are your margins right now? They're around uh, 7%, 7%, Not bad. And, we, and we think we can get a couple hundred basis points improvement here. Mm -hmm. So maybe up to 10% just about or close, yeah, nine or knocking, ten, on, nine or ten. knocking on the door? Yeah. Yeah. Knocking on the door, yeah. knocking on the door, that's right, yeah. And we're pretty, um, we're pretty enthusiastic about, about the path to get there. Um, you know, it's initiatives that I think we can undertake without any sort of tailwind from the market. And uh, do you see all your eggs in the automotive business or do you see opportunity elsewhere? Well, we, we have a small amount of business outside just cars. I mean, we do some truck seating. But we've kind of set ourselves a five-year goal to have a billion dollars of revenue in non-automotive spaces. Um, and a market that we're, we're really seriously looking at right now and in some discussions with some people is the aircraft seating market. Good, no, because a, I can I, tell you, the aircraft uh, business yeah. needs better seats. Exactly. I, commercial I, I, airlines. I'd yeah. welcome any improvement you can bring to yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. But it's an industry where I think we can apply our technology uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that's, that's different mm -hmm. than everyone mm -hmm. else is in that space. Um, it's, it's, it's an industry that's got sort of two or three significant players. Um, you know, if you look at the industry on-time delivery performance, about 65%, and, you know, that's uh, giving people a sort of a one-year production uh, schedule in advance. So, you know, one-year lead time and the industry gets the seats there 65% of the time. So we think we can do better than that. Yeah, you guys, you guys are pretty good in just in time in terms yeah. of uh, delivering to the line as cars are being built. Correct, <laughs> correct. Yeah, I mean... You know, if you, if you take an average OE plant, it might make 500 to 1,000 cars a day. And if you just thought about the space that even one day's worth of seats would, would occupy, it, it'd right. be enormous. And so we tend to operate in a just-in-time model, our industry, um, which, which tends to mean we get a broadcast when a vehicle comes out of the paint shop. And then we have to have a seat uh, trackside uh, with the you know, right color and option spe specification. Usually sometime, sometimes it's as short as, uh, I'd say, two hours, and, but no more than six or seven hours. So it, it's a very efficient uh, production process between us and our customer. So you have that amount of time to actually completely build a seat. Correct, correct. We, we'd have, uh, if, you did, if you look at our just-in-time assembly plants, they, they tend to be very close to a customer, and sometimes we're co-located. Um, and um, we, we would turn our inventory 150 to 200 times a year. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's <laughs> a that's lot. incredible. Right. I mean, so so the advent of the supplier park has really sort of helped your business then to, to uh, yeah. you know, as that model has sort of become the norm almost now, you're really, your business is, is ideally suited sort yeah. of for that supplier park. Yeah, yeah, and so w when a new plant is being built, and maybe a you know, good example be something like the, uh, the uh, Toyota plant uh, down in San Antonio. Antonio, so that where they make the pickup trucks. Our our factory, we, we share a wall with, with the Toyota plant, and and literally, our seats get shipped through the wall right into the Toyota factory. So so the delivery, uh, it's probably 100 feet from the end of our line yeah. to to where it gets fit on the pickup truck. That 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 
brings up an interesting aspect then that, that I think sometimes we don't always consider. You, you've got to have that relationship started well in advance then, right, with a, with yeah. a Toyota or a Honda or whoever's building a plant, that they've already made the decision, you will be our seat guy then, right? Right, right. right. Well, we're in an industry where there's, uh, you know, it's four or five of us that, that sort of have about 80 or 90 percent market sh of the market. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very consolidated industry. Um, because of the logistics challenges um, and the partnerships that you have to have with so many levels of the customer organization, we, we, our business doesn't sort of move around very much. Once, once we get onto a platform with a customer, we, we tend to stick with it um, for many, many mm -hmm. generations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's some changes, but it's, it's rare. I'm intrigued that you've chosen the city of Detroit to locate your headquarters. Yeah. Why? Well, you know, we, uh, we've got here in, in, in Michigan um, about 1,500 people in, in five facilities. And so what we, we looked at a number of different options to sort of combine everybody. We obviously started with our first choice, which would be get them all into one location. And, and we couldn't make that work. So once we decided to go to two location strategy, we thought we'd keep our, our main engineers, our technical center, you know, sleds and things like that in, in one facility and our launch teams. And that's about going to be about a thousand people and that'll be at our Plymouth um, operations that we have today. We'll be refurbishing that and, and about a thousand people will be there. Uh, then when it comes to sort of our corporate people and you know, the, the further you get away from actually launching a product, sales, IT, uh, some of the SGNA functions. We, we're all going to move to downtown Michigan. Um, we chose downtown Detroit. Sorry, downtown Detroit. <laughs> we chose that. Um, really, you're thinking about the future. Where, where do young people want to work uh, and live? And it's it's not in suburban areas like like we did when when we were um, starting a family. So, our ability to attract a diverse workforce, uh, IT and accounting talent. Um, we felt the downtown was was the best place to be. Um, the city was great in terms of helping us get make it all happen, finding us parking uh, solutions and things like that. So, obviously, there's a lot of uh, regeneration that's going on downtown, and you know we're thrilled to be part of it. And, and for those who are not from around here, Plymouth to downtown is about a 20 minute drive. So 20 minute drive, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Not bad at all. It's not that bad at all. No. You know, I, I was looking at the, the Adiant mission statement, and uh, you guys are looking for leadership through cost quality, launch execution, and customer satisfaction. And I was wondering, what about innovation? How important is innovation to what Adiant is going to be doing going forward? Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's exceptionally important right now, especially, and we, you know, we talked about the autonomous space, but, um, you know, our customers are looking to differentiate the interior of their vehicle, and being able to bring new ideas to them is, is, is critical. So, um, when we talk about you know being a, a leader in terms of customer satisfaction, I mean, being able to come up with good ideas to help them sell more vehicles uh, is is critical to that. What do you make of this move to ride sharing and car sharing? We've talked about how autonomy right. might change the interior of a car, and everybody can sort of visualize, yeah, get rid of the steering wheel and the gas pedal and the brake pedal and all. But when you get into ride sharing and car sharing, they're going to be used so much, and no one's designing the car to quickly, say, replace carpeting or seats that get scuffed up or, or ripped up. Yeah. Are, are you guys looking at that and thinking how that might affect your business? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. For, for us, the most pressing uh, challenge that, that our customers are looking for is the ability to sort of change the seat cover. So 
Right now, obviously, you, you know, it's pretty rare you, you replace the seat cover, but we're looking at ways to um, zipper them on and off where, you, where the zipper's hidden. Um, we've, we've got some solutions there. More durable fabrics uh, is, is another one. Um, so things that don't scuff, some thin, synthetic leathers and things like that. Um, so there is a lot of, a lot of innovation coming on the, on the fabric side. Antimicrobial. But, yeah, antimicrobial, stain resistant, all that type of stuff, yeah. So um, your company, you, you mentioned 1,000 people, but you have 75,000 people in your organization and you're right. literally around the world. I mean, right. how do you manage that on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, well, that, that, it keeps us busy. But that, when I talked about 1,000 he, here, that's our North American um, technical center. We, we have technical centers um, regionally. So we'd have a, you know, our next biggest one would be actually just outside of Shanghai. It'd be seven or 800 people. We have another one in Eastern Europe in Trenchen in, in Slovakia. And uh, in, in Western Europe, we're in just outside of Cologne. We have about four or 500 people there. So it, it, it's scattered around. Um, in terms of managing uh, the, the overall organization, uh, you know, great team that 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 works for me. Um, you know, and they really do the the heavy lifting. Um, Got to get out on the road, so there's an awful lot of travel uh, getting to these these places. And um, you know, that's probably the best. You know, those are probably the, the best ways I could think of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do Do you think that? Uh, you know, we we had a little bit of a discussion before we started the show about. What what a customer's perception of their seat is, and to me, it seems to be one of those things that I think a lot of people they buy a car, and when they go into the showroom to buy it, they want it to look good and substantial and 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 all that, and then as soon as they buy the car, they kind of forget about it, probably, you know, yeah. as long as they set it where they want and and, and forget about it. Right. Uh, and, and and maybe this gets back to the innovation thing a little bit, but but. Uh, you know, I've always been curious. The chairs that we're sitting in now is not what somebody's idea in the 50s would have been about what a right. comfortable office chair was. Can you change customer taste in what they, you know, what, particularly because of the autonomous and the electrified cars, you want a lighter seat, right? And Yeah, they want a lighter seat. They want a thinner seat uh, that gives them more leg room uh, in the back okay. and, and, and front. So... Um, the, the, the balancing act, especially here in North America, because this tends to be a regional discussion about consumer taste, but especially here in North America, customer tends to like uh, or associate um, a thicker seat with a more comfortable seat. Um, and, and that's something as, you know, with our customers, we, we have to constantly work on. I think you know, just being able to sort of demonstrate some of the, uh, the thinner seats, the comfort that you see from a thinner, thinner seat um, you know, you'll see you'll see a lot of that at the auto show, at the North American Auto Show. You saw a lot of, a lot of that. Um, I, I think consumer tastes will evolve, um, but just just the the lightweighting challenge alone is going to migrate the industry there. You know, it's interesting what you're saying of regional differences and what people perceive as a good seat or not. Yeah. How do you get the the kind of manufacturing scale that everyone's after, where you can commonize designs? throughout the world and sure maybe the, yeah. the the final cover is different maybe some of the shapes different right does these different tastes in different regions affect how you might be able to get scale yeah well for our business the the, the scale benefit really comes with the metal part of the seat um, you know a seat you have to remember at the end of the day is a highly critical safety component i mean we're sort of counting on in the event of a crash you know the the the, the frame uh, has to sort of crumple the right way 
but but we're counting on the occupant getting pulled into its seat, you know, with with um, the seat belt sort of grabbing them, holding the seat, and the seat staying in position. Um, so our scale benefit is really a track the frame, commonizing that as much as we can, and then tailoring the foam, the fabric, and the, and the cover, uh, and, and maybe the shape of some of the designs um, to, the, to regional preferences. So basically the stuff that people really don't see or <laughs> pay attention to, you guys are able to commonize on that and get right. the scale, right. but then when it comes to you know, the sewing the fabric or putting the foam in certain positions, you yeah. are able to tailor that Correct, correct. And, and, and the, the, the money we spend in terms of engineering, tooling, uh, um, design, um, validation, safety testing is really all around the frame of the seat. The, mm -hmm. the, other, the other things you can change much, much quicker. Mm -hmm. So do you have to work with the suppliers of things like uh, safety belts and airbags and so on in, in terms of making sure that what you guys are providing syncs with what they're doing? Yeah, because it's a system. Um, we, we would typically be directed by our customer to, you know, this kind of seat belt or this kind of airbag. Um, we, we, our industry have a lot of directed components uh, that, we, that we assemble with the stuff that we make to deliver the final product to the, to the uh, assembly line. So seat belts, airbags, I mean, those would be top uh, components that are always directed to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to talk all about Adiant and where it's going, and it's pretty exciting to hear. I, I'd like to know a little bit of your background. Have you been at JCI your whole career and now going to Adiant, or give us some of your yeah. background. Well, I, I, uh, I actually grew up in Toronto, uh, so I'm from Canada originally. Uh, I, I started my career uh, in finance in uh, Ernst & Young, and then I, I kind of moved into industry, so I worked for a company called Massey Ferguson, made farm Made tractors, right? Yeah. Uh, and diesel engines, and they, they diversified into um, the automotive space and uh, eventually merged with a British company called Lucas and then got acquired by TRW. Uh, so I, I worked at that same organization for many, many years, uh, and I, I left um, that um, at the time TRW in 2001, and that's when I joined Johns Control. So I've been there since 01 until 2016 when I you know, now start my career at Adiant. So I've worked at a lot, of, a lot of different names, but I haven't really changed companies that many times. You make seats. Are you looking to get into any other parts of the interior of a car? Well, through our, our, our joint venture we have with Yang Feng, we, we are in the interior space as well. So that would be for us door panels, um, cockpits, floor consoles, you know, the, the, you know, so things that you would sort of touch and feel around the seat. Um, but those two product areas, seats and, and the interiors, is, is where we're sort of sticking to our knitting. Oh, I, I didn't realize you had a joint venture with them. And for, for the audience, Yang Feng took part of the business that was spun off of JCI as well, what Bruce just mentioned. There. But you guys are sort of going to market together That's when you right. pitch clients? Yeah, so, so back in, in July of 2015, we formed that joint venture. So Yang Feng, uh, which is part of the SAIC, uh, family of, of companies in China um, had a interior a Chinese based interiors business about four four and a half billion dollars um, and they had you know aspirations to grow globally at part of, as part of John's controls we had a four billion four and a half billion dollar um, interiors joint venture which was global and we we we're also partners with the Yang Feng on uh, on the seating side in China. 
So we had a, a, a number of discussions that said, hey, why don't we put our two businesses together? We'll combine you know, the, the customer relationships that we have with the non-Chinese customers together with the access to low-cost engineering and tooling capabilities that they brought to the table. And we thought we could be a category killer. And um, if, you, if you look at um, that, the, the result of putting those two businesses together, it's been exceptionally uh, well-received by our customers. Um, like I said, that's a business about eight and a half, nine billion right now, and we've got nearly a three billion dollar backlog of new business that we'll be launching here over the next three years. So it's 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 really worked out well for us. We've been talking about some of the advances in whether it's uh, autonomy or ride sharing or so on, and so there seems to be a number of companies that are coming out with electric vehicles, companies we've never heard of before. Yeah. Um, are you talking to those guys? Are you going out to Silicon Valley and saying, hey, we're the seating company and uh, you guys need seats if you're going to have a car? We are. We are. In fact, uh, one of the first things we did after we, we became our own public companies, we opened up what we call our, uh, an office out in San Jose. Um, so we did that on November 1st. Um, we, our strategy there, I, I would say, is very similar to like our strategy was as we approached the, the, the Japanese customers in the 80s or the Chinese customers in the 90s is, look, we think there's going to be a lot of um, new entrants to this market. Uh, they, they approach business in a totally different way. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to make an electric vehicle in terms of investment and things like that. The lead times can be shorter. And so we don't want to be uh, going out there introducing ourselves after some of these <laughs> players become a success. We, we want to be partnering with them here on the ground floor. So we've, we've booked a, uh, a pretty good chunk of business out there. I'm really pleased with how, uh, how successful our teams have been. Um, unfortunately, with all of them, we have NDAs, so I, I can't say what their names <laughs> Next are. Next question. <laughs> right, right. But um, you know, for, for us, I, I look at it as a growth opportunity, and I, and I look at it as, a, as a, what can we learn from these people that sort of come in and challenging some of the ways that we do business. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, if we can if we can speed up our development process to support them, you know, think about the carryover benefits we'll have across the rest of our organization. Sure. And with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. Very interesting what you're doing with IDN. Very interesting the growth that you see ahead of you. Bruce McDonald, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Bill Visnick and Gary Vaslash, got to thank you too as thank well. You, and of course, got to thank all of you for having tuned in.